step up, take control of your business, and decide to be your very best as a leader right now. Hello, today it's my great pleasure to be speaking with Kelly Keefe. Kelly is the president of Employers Resource Center, ERC, an organization that helps businesses with HR consulting, training, coaching, and research services for creating a healthy workplace culture. Kelly started part-time at ERC in 2004 and advanced to become the first female president of this 100-year-old organization. Kelly, thanks so much for making time for us. Thanks, Peyton. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you very much. So, Kelly, tell us when and how your entrepreneurial leadership journey began. Well, I started as president three years ago. I'm in my third year now. And I had a great predecessor who had said to me, you know, give yourself some time before you really start implementing a strategic plan. Or, you know, I was real eager to jump in thinking that I needed to kind of set the organization on a, on a new path, being um, almost 100 years old. And so I decided to wait. I took that advice and, and just kind of let things happen for the first year, felt out the organization. And then it was last year that I said, okay, it's time for the organization to do something. EOS had been nowhere on my radar screen whatsoever. I'm completely honest with that. And then I was started all of a sudden about a year ago, starting hearing people talk about EOS. And so I did a little searching out of it on my own. I went to a session here, a public session. I think I, it was free. And I heard some panelists speaking about their experiences with EOS. And I left there, Peyton, and I was so intrigued because the, what everyone was saying was, oh, it's so hard, but you have to trust the process. And so all of these like intangible almost comments were coming out of these people's mouths and I couldn't quite understand. But me being you know, who I am, I said, well, I'm not going to settle for that. So I need to learn what they're talking about. And what do you mean it's so hard? Here's some super intelligent people up on stage saying it's really hard. And so I debriefed with my now integrator. We were working together and we went for coffee after. And I said, what do you think? And, you know, maybe we should at least take the first step and read this book, Traction. So I did do that. And I actually asked my leadership team to also read the book, Traction. It was around the holidays. And I said, this is your homework to do. And so we came back just in January of 2020. And we said together, well, we think this will be hard. But we think that this is about the right time for our organization to begin this transformation. And we think that this is a great process and tool for us to use. Awesome. So long answer, but it was a long journey yeah. to get to where I am. That's great. So go back to you as a child. What are your earliest recognitions of leadership and, and the people you would look to in your family or school or whatever business enterprise you were signing up for, sports, any of that, right. as a leader? Talk to us about your earliest impressions of what leadership means. Yeah, you know, I am very lucky. I have an amazing family with two amazing parents. And my mom, she actually did not even attend college, but she was super involved in anything that she could get her hands on. She never worked. Um, she was she never worked outside the home. I should be careful what I say there, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but she was an amazing role model that said, you know, no matter what you know, you have skills inside of you. So she has these amazing skills. And so she would use them at our school doing different things. And then my dad had... My dad's always been in leadership positions and, you know, the way that they volunteered on boards. And so, you know, I think at a young age, I realized that 
I was given gifts and I'm not allowed to just go to school and that's not allowed to be my only job. I need to do other things. So I got involved in student council and in sports and in the place and, you know, as many things as I could get involved in, I did. I remember a certain coach coming up to me at one point, we were at softball practice. I think I was in fifth grade or so. And he said, I think you have what we need to be the pitcher on this team. And here I am, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. And what does that mean? And so I think at a young age, you know, I had an adult that trusted that I was going to be able to pull this team together and, you know, I ended up going on and being a pitcher, you know, almost all the way through college or up to college, I should say. And then student council always stuck out. So as many opportunities as I had as a kid, I would take advantage of those. And that was came from people in my life that kept encouraging me. And uh, so I think at a young age, I realized how important it was to have leaders. When I have to sit on my hands sometimes is when I look at people and I realize they have so much to offer the world, but either they're afraid to or they just don't take the time to. So stay in that early stage as you were sort of formulating your first impressions of what leadership looked like. What are some of the words you would assign to describe a good or effective leader? Having empathy, listening, understanding, and not understanding almost the words that are coming out of someone's mouth, but understanding what's driving them to say those things. And I do believe that I have a a pretty good key understanding of emotions behind people and why people are making those decisions and that. So I think a leader, you know, you can bring people forward or you can bring people along with you along the ride and make sure that they're enjoying it as well. So, so I think, you know, that whole time as I've evolved as a leader, some of my biggest misses probably are when I wasn't quite understanding where someone was coming from. And I assumed that they were on the same page with me and they weren't. Well, that's a nice segue into the follow-up question. Did you learn at a young age or at any time in your career to assign words to not great leadership? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so so give me a couple of adjectives describing the kinds of things you've seen not great leaders do, or maybe mistakes you've made yourself. Yeah. You know, especially today, but along the way as well, leaders that aren't nimble, leaders that are so set in their ways that they are not open to change. I mean, think about 2020, the leaders that are open to change right now and the leaders that are realizing that maybe they need to take a seat back, that there's other people around them that are smarter than them. You know, when they're able to chuck their ego out the door, as you say, right? You know, that those are the leaders that are going to be successful right now. And, um, and frankly, I think leaders that aren't willing to do that you lose respect from a lot of people. People can see right through that, that, you know, are you in it for you or are you in it for the good of humanity and the good of the team? Does a specific story or experience in your life stick out as an example of somebody who was set in his or her ways and wasn't a good listener and didn't bring people along with them? Or is this the amalgam of a bunch of different experiences? Yeah, I would say it's probably the group of different experiences. I will say as a female president stepping into my role, there are definitely some people that I've kind of struggled with and how to respond to some comments and, you know, not looking to, to make this about that. But as a younger-ish female president, you know, I'm not sure if I was always taken seriously by other leaders. Hmm. And so I had to and continue to have to prove to others that I have the skills and I have the capabilities to do that. And so, so in response to your question, I think, you know, leaders that aren't willing to give others a chance, leaders that aren't willing to see potential or even take the time to help coach along the way. I think those are leaders that probably stand out to me that maybe I don't have as much respect for as other leaders. If you 
well, a leader that thinks someone different from them can't possibly be as good at this as that's they right. are is uh, got a lot of blind that's right. spots. That's absolutely so, right. Yeah. That's very helpful. All right. So I want to come back to the present day a okay. little bit. Tell us a little bit about ERC. What does the company do? Give us a two-minute history, that kind of thing. Well, it's hard to make a 100-year-old company into two minutes, but I'll try, <laughs> Peyton. <laughs> so we were started in um, 1920, actually, by business leaders that had gotten together. And there's an old restaurant club down here in Cleveland, Ohio, where I am. And they got together and they said, wow, there's all of these changes happening in our labor laws and unions were forming and and they said we want to be great workplaces but we also need to continue making our widgets or whatever it may be so we need some help so they got together and they formed this association so that's what we are we are an association 100 years old so they hired somebody to come in and say we want you to be responsible for all of these resources that we need things like compensation data and help with compliance and training and all of those things and so fast forward 100 years later we are working with organizations to help leaders make better decisions about their people. So we have so much people data, which is pretty remarkable. Every year we do a survey and we ask organizations in our area to fill out about their workplace practices and then we evaluate them. And then we actually take an additional survey and we ask them to send it to their top performers in their organization. So this year we have over 10,000 survey results from March till May of what top performers were looking for during this COVID time. So I'm calling that almost like liquid gold. I mean, if, if at the core of it, you know what top performers are looking for in the midst of craziness in a pandemic. So, so we take all of these resources that we have. We have you know over a thousand clients that are working with us, and so we take those resources and we push them back out. So we have certified HR professionals that help on the help desk. So if you had questions, Peyton, about your business, you can call into us and uh, we get right back to you. So let's dive into that because, you know, my clients and the clients of, of every one of the professional EOS implementers are dying to really understand what attracts and retains great talent. It's a big part of implementing EOS and it's a, a great leader is great at attracting and retaining highly motivated, highly effective people. So what are those kind of people really looking for based on the data you're collecting? So the number one thing that even this year we find is it's not salary, it's not benefits, it's the engagement of that professional. So you think about you as a top performer, you think about your team, you know, what are they looking for? What drives them? It's, you know, the engagement, it's challenging and meaningful work, right? So that's what they are looking for. They might even tolerate a terrible boss for a long time if they're working on projects that they absolutely love. Flexibility is also very at top of that, you know, top performers. And I believe this, you know, I will get the job done, but I've got three kids of my own. And, you know, so if I need to take a break from 11 to 12, if they're being homeschooled or whatever, I will still get the job done. Let me work earlier or later, whatever it may be. So top performers are looking for that meaningful, challenging work and then also flexibility as well. Yeah, that's one of the observations I'm making now in the wake of the response to the pandemic is that people who have long resisted a more flexible approach, a more results-based approach to evaluating employees. Yep have now been forced to accept that. And I'm hearing very consistently from my clients that their people are as productive or more so yes. without the shackles of a 45-minute commute into yeah. downtown to, to come to the office. And you're saying that's been present for a long time. 
is just being recognized now with top performers. Yeah. You know, and obviously the top performers are those employees that that are driving your business forward. And so for a long time, that's what top performers have been looking for. And I do believe that, again, going back to a strong leader, a strong leader knows who your top performers are and gives your top performers, hey, you're producing, so I'm going to give you flexibility if you need that. But, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, Peyton, I would I was interviewing a organization and the customer service team, he was talking about a professional who actually had just come back from maternity leave and who had a baby that they had to take care of. And, you know, this leader was saying, well, gosh, you know, they're saying that they can't work, you know, eight to five. And I said, yep. And they're telling you the truth. You know, <laughs> they have a baby at home who is 12 weeks old at the oldest, right? Ooh. And they have basic needs that need to be cared for, yeah. right? Who doesn't care that you have a meeting scheduled every day from 10 to 11 <laughs> right. if they want something. Yeah, right. That's right. And so, hey, leader, let's be a little flexible with this employee who just has basic needs that they need to meet for their child. And so so that was a challenging conversation for me to say to this leader who I thought, like, do you not recognize this? And I think the yeah. leader was saying, but I've got this schedule. And yeah, that's right. Thus, your comment about flexibility that's being, right. being important right. and occasionally common sense as well. <laughs> Tell us what you're, as the leader of ERC, what does a typical week look like for you? I realize there are probably none of those, but if you had a typical week, what would it look like? I long for a typical week anymore, right? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of Zoom calls. So I meet with my team. We have our L10s on Tuesdays, and that's a standing meeting. And then Mm -hmm. I have my one-on-ones with my direct reports on Wednesday or Thursday of the week. And, you know, the rest of the time I am shifting right now from, we're doing a lot of transformation within our business right now. So I'm spending Mm -hmm. a lot of time on that, rolling that out to our organization, obviously going through the EOS process is helping us drive that. But I'm realizing the importance of, and I think most leaders are, the importance of me as the president being out as not only kind of um, in the marketplace, but also turning into more of a sales professional, trying to help drive our revenues into our organization. So um, so my typical week is, is all over the board, but it's mostly meeting after meeting, but solid meetings, driving the business forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. And for the listener who's not familiar with EOS terminology, I'll say L10 is short for level 10, the kind of meeting we teach leadership teams to run every week so that the quality is consistently near 10 on a scale of one to 10. In that answer, you shared with us a couple of things you've had to get used to recently that maybe weren't part of your job before. One was, you know, connecting with people via Zoom and running meetings and when you're not in person. And then the other was selling, you know, being out there, the face of your organization. So tell the listener what your approach to learning new disciplines is. How have you learned to develop yourself? Well, I think through this pandemic, you almost have to trial by fire, right? So the Zooms, that's pretty easy technology, I guess, any type of session. But but you need to prepare in advance for all of your meetings when you're meeting with a client, right? You need to make sure that you're doing your research and you know, you're understanding perhaps what's driving them, right? I never want to go into a conversation, just talk all about me or my business. I want to go in there and almost like this and, and ask questions, you know, what's driving you? Because that's where you get to learn most about your clients is when you're asking them the questions and you're taking the time to listen, right? And then selling you know, I'm a people person, you know, I I enjoy just talking with people. And so we have done some sales training for our organization, those types of things. Frankly, just, you know, reading, searching, all those types of things, talking about selling in today's market. 
But I will say that, you know, it's a different approach today. You have to realize that organizations financially probably aren't where they want to be, right? And so I think that's where that whole empathy thing, you know, plays into this having a real conversation. But I believe in what I am selling. I believe in my product. I think any leader is in the wrong position if they don't. And so I'm able to wholeheartedly share with leaders how beneficial it is to work with my organization. You know, think about of all the EOS clients who are going through this transformation. You know, change management is hard for people. And then now you have a new boss. We've got all the services and tools to help through all of that. So like I said... And in some cases, unfortunately, maybe you let some HR people go or people took on new responsibilities. I mean, there's new legislation happening all the time, it seems like. So I believe so much in what my organization is able to provide to organizations. Yeah. What's the toughest thing you've had to do as a leader? What have you struggled with most? I love change. If it's not changing, we're not moving forward. That's how I live my life, probably. What has been hardest for me is realizing that not everyone agrees with that. And then also understanding why they don't agree with that. And so, you know, the patience in when I look at somebody, especially younger professionals, where maybe change is happening to them, or we're creating change for them, because we want them to grow into other areas. We want them to know things outside of their own little niche, right? And when we get resistance to that, you know, I want to just say like fast forward 10 years, you're going to appreciate that you were exposed to these different areas. I also say one thing that's hard for me is I don't know if you've ever heard of the J curve, but you know, you, you implement change and then just like the letter J for all of our listeners, you know, the leadership is implementing the change and they've, they've been thinking about, I mean, I've been thinking about EOS for, I've been working on EOS. I haven't even rolled out to my whole organization yet. And I've been working on it, you know, nonstop for nine months now. And so then once it's implemented at the organization, it, you know, there's, there's going to be a low period where people are trying to understand it. And then I'm taking off and I'm moving on with EOS onto the next thing. So sometimes I say, Kelly, just sit on your hands and breathe and, and let the rest of the organization catch up and understand what's happening. So, yeah. Yeah. One of my clients said to me, oh, I get it. You're trying to teach me that I'm no longer an individual competitor, I'm in a sack race and our team can only go as fast as the slowest person in the sack. Wow. Wow. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times the EOS implementation journey and where your company is. Tell us what things felt like before you started implementing EOS. And then when you're done with that, I'm going to ask you to describe what's different. Okay. So before we implemented EOS, I mean, I've got an amazing staff and I've got an amazing team of dedicated, intelligent people. And I just felt every single day that we were going to work and working really, really hard and leaving at the end of the day, just kind of exhausted and wasn't sure, you know, we were having an impact on clients, but not an impact across the organization and not a big enough impact, I feel like with our clients and not gaining new customers, not able to kind of dive into new industries, you know, just kind of because we are so client focused, that's been successful for us, but I want us to grow as well, right? And so, like I said, we are just working really hard and not really moving the needle as much as I know that we could, kind of selling one service at a time to clients as opposed to offering a suite of services, those types of things. 
So in some ways, I just felt a little unorganized, me as a leader, because shiny objects, again, for your listeners, if you don't know what those are, it's probably what most leaders have, like, oh, we should go do this, and we should go do that, we should go do this. So I I like change, and I love shiny objects. (laughs) So I was doing it, and I realized that I was the one causing my staff to sometimes go crazy and spin their wheels on things. And, you know, again, with that J-curve, I thought it was a great idea And a week later, my team is in a four-hour meeting trying to figure out how to implement. And I was like, oh, are we still working on that? You know, (laughs) so maybe we shouldn't anymore. So anyways, I will say that where I am now, it's given me structure. It's given me tools that I know that my leadership team now feels comfortable saying, okay, Kelly, this is a, maybe this is a great idea, but we're going to go through a process and we're going to all evaluate and we're going to discover together if this is a good idea, and if it is a good idea, how we're going to implement it. And then let's figure out the timeline and all the other kind of stuff. So that's cool. What have you found most difficult or painful or stuff that the team struggled with the most? Well, so I'll go right to the accountability chart. And, you know, we started the first time we did the accountability chart was in, I think it was in January or February. And we had to go around the room and tell everyone if they got it, if they had the capacity, and if they wanted it. I had two people on my team that are amazing employees, but I didn't know if they got it, and if they had the capacity, or frankly, in one case, if they wanted it. And it was hard. That was really hard. That was one of those moments as a leader where you thought, what am I doing? Is this worth it? I have to tell you that both of those people are, one is no longer at the organization, but they chose a different path in life, which was perfect. And we are, you know, still have a wonderful relationship. And the other one has had an amazing coach over the past nine months and is in places that I don't think that they ever thought that they could get to. But it was almost like we had that raw moment in front of the others that said, you want it but do you get it? And so if you don't, let's get you to where you need to be. So yeah. So just a brief note to bring the listeners up to speed. I've facilitated that experience for 130 clients at least once. And basically it's an experience where you create clarity of the role the company needs a person to be great at every day. And when that's clear, which it often isn't in a fast moving entrepreneurial company, Then you look at the person who thinks they belong in that seat and tell them whether or not you think they get it, meaning they're genetically encoded to do it well, want it, meaning they genuinely spring out of bed wanting to be great in the role and have the capacity, meaning they've acquired the ability with education, training, and development to do it well. And it is hard. I've never seen a client be enthused about that process, but it is so relieving for the person who's been trying to fake it till they make it for six months. So I'm so glad you shared that with our listeners. It's just a really good story about the importance of clarity and the likelihood that it'll not only help your organization, but each of those leaders become their true selves in some role that's a great fit for them. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. It was really hard that day and the next, but we made it through. Have you been surprised by anything you learned about yourself as a leader or a team member in this journey? I knew the details are hard for me. I know that process is hard for me, but I didn't give enough credit to how hard it is. 
I have to give so much credit to my integrator because she is amazing and she's perfect as an integrator. And she is the one that really is driving a lot of the EOS process. And so I give a lot of credit, a lot of credit. And so what I have learned is I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I need to surround myself with people that are good at what I'm not good at. (laughs) Yeah. And again, for the listeners, just a little bit of teaching. Kelly is a visionary in EOS terminology, meaning she's a big picture thinker. She loves to operate at 30,000 feet. Nothing's ever impossible. We like the shiny things. That's right. And her integrator is the person who keeps the trains running on time, manages the day-to-day, drives accountability. And sounds like you two have a great partnership. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we really Yeah, so tell us about how that works. How does a visionary integrator partnership work? So like I said, you know, I've got ideas about things. I'm big picture, I'm the 30,000 foot. Where are we going to be in 3 years? Where are we going to be in 5 years? Where are we going to be in 6 months, right? And then the integrator makes it all happen. Kind of puts all the pieces together, make sure people are in the right places to make it happen. Make sure that we have the right systems make sure that we're meeting on a regular basis and communication is happening, making sure that when I have my shiny object that we're rolling into the organization, that it actually makes sense and we have the financial capability to do it and that we have the, you know, the systems in place to do it, those types of things. So, so we meet regularly, obviously. How does she convince you that an idea you think needs to be implemented right away might be a shiny object and we maybe need to take a little more time to think through this without coming off as a wet blanket? Right. Yeah. So I think that's tough, but my team does a really good job at it. So they'll say, well, why don't we make that an issue? And so, you know, I'm sorry if I keep using all this terminology, but I've told my team, I said, When I throw out shiny objects, say, let's make it an issue. So we have a a deal that that's what's going to happen. And so what that means then is I I put it into our, we use My90, it's a service software that it has for EOS. And so I put it in there as an issue so everyone on the team can see that it's in there. And so then we'll go around the room and we, you know, they ask clarifying questions. They want to understand it. They're allowed to share their experiences in it. Well, Kelly, this sounds kind of like the shiny object you threw out two weeks ago that we decided wasn't a good idea. So, and um, again, when I go back to, you know, why I think I'm a good leader is because I'm able to listen to that and I actually understand and I appreciate what they're bringing to the table. Right. Well, and as a visionary myself, it sometimes you have to think through and figure out how to overcome those initial challenges because the fact that something feels like a shiny object today doesn't mean it isn't a good idea to implement it tomorrow. You just have to really understand where everybody's coming from so you can cloak it in the right language. And, And I'll be honest, you know, of the 20 great ideas I have every week, 19 of them probably should never see the light of day. So (laughs) that's right. So just bringing us to a close Your leadership experience in the organization, I'm guessing, has influenced or affected you outside your organization, too. How has becoming a great leader of an organization changed your life at home or in your other passions? You know, I was lucky enough to be a part of a program. Because I am president, I was allowed to apply for a program that we have here in Cleveland. It's called Leadership Cleveland. I I know that they've got these around the country And it was an experience I had with 60 other presidents, CEOs, leaders of organizations. And their goal is to have leaders of organizations work together to make your community better and to, uh, you know, raise issues that are happening around systemic racism, poverty, 
infant mortality, you know, all things in our community that are too rampant and that putting a group of leaders together. So, so I'll say one door opened another door, which has led to me having amazing relationships with other leaders, with me having opportunities to help implement change and be a change agent myself. But, you know, I will say, yeah, the door was opened, but I had to walk through it, right? And I had to embrace that. I had to think differently. I had to work with people that are outside of my comfort zone, outside of, you know, you know my past, outside of all of that. But wow, then it's just like a full circle. It's 360. It's like what I learn outside of the organization, I bring back to the organization and I would share a lot with my employees. And then, so what does that mean? What are they doing for their community? What, you know, so like the circle doesn't end as long as, you know, you as a leader are willing to, again, as we talked about earlier, listen to different perspectives. You don't always have to agree with it, but at least you're listening and you're understanding different backgrounds. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, people are good people, right? And you want to make things better for people in your life and outside of your life, right? So so I'm so appreciative of the opportunities that have been given to me. And I just hope, you know, as I continue to grow, that I just keep doing more, you know, joining more boards, nonprofits, et cetera. Yeah. So that's a beautiful segue into my closing question. And I'm going to set it up with an observation. And that is this. I'm a consistently optimistic person. I have a very positive view of the future. And it's because I'm surrounded by entrepreneurial leaders every day. And I truly believe our world is going to be positively transformed by entrepreneurial leaders, not by governments, not by big corporations, but by people like you and me who are just plugging away every day, trying to make the world around us a better place. That's right. And so what I'd love you to do for the other entrepreneurial leaders who want to make a positive difference, is there one piece of advice you could give them that will have a positive influence on their lives and the lives of people around them? You know, especially in 2020 and going into 2021, I would say keep going and dig deep because there's so many days where you're exhausted by 8.30 in the morning, right? You didn't even sleep the night before. Because you've got employees that maybe they're on reduced hours, or maybe a spouse is just lost their job, or a friend lost their job, or they're fighting, you know, whatever it is, we are in a pandemic. This is not something that we've ever said before, right? And there's so much turmoil in the world right now. And so as a leader of an entrepreneurial organization, you have the opportunity to create a safe environment for your employees, even if they're remote or if you're working in the office, no matter what the outside world is, you know, their family, their friends, whatever it is, you have that opportunity within your workplace to make these people, whatever it is, four people, 10 people, 100 people, et cetera, to make their lives better when they're working with you through meaningful and engaging work, whatever. And, you know, even if you're the widget maker, don't worry, you know, what are you doing for the community? What are you doing? You know, you can continue to expand the roles of every employee at your organization. Um, And as leaders of entrepreneurs, you have the opportunity to do that. So as Dory says, just keep swimming. (laughs) Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, thank you. It's been a great pleasure hosting you today. I know our listeners are thrilled about what they've already learned. And if they want to learn more about you or ERC, where should we direct them? Well, thanks for that opportunity. Sure. YourERC.com. That is our website, www.yourerc.com. And I would love to talk to anyone that wants to talk. Great. Thank you very much. 
This has been Mike Payton with Kelly Keith on the Lead Now podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And please remember to subscribe on your podcast application or to subscribe a friend so they can get value from the work we're doing together. Kelly, thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Lead Now podcast. To learn more about the podcast and share it with your friends, please visit eosworldwide.com forward slash podcast.